not welcome to Not Safe for Walks. I am your party host, Brandon Buchanan, and the whole team is here. The whole gang is here. Mm-hmm. No interviews, no filler, all killer. The way you love it. Everybody's here. Leia's here. I am here. Hello. Brandon's here. Yeah, Kennedy Cooper's here. I, I am. And Dre is here as well. You know what, baby? <laughs> Dre is actually kind of taking the lead on this episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about the educational system. We've heard the phrase, the children are our future so much that it's kind of like a cliche. You know, the children are our future. And it's like, be nicer to kids. We want to talk about it in a more psychic sense, in a more metaphysical sense. The culture, the emotional culture of our country. And when we look at, well, why do Americans behave in these ways that seem irrational or greedy or selfish or violent? When we know that that's not like our highest selves, why is there such a majority or a strong minority that behave or value things that we seem not to? Also, why do we seem to be just kind of missing some basic and, and kind of critical learning and thinking skills? Like we've we've seen a number of alarming surveys here in America in particular, but also some other countries that show that a lot of people like don't really read books anymore and, and right. that they like they they can't really do like algebra just like the average person like really can't do it you know and things like Mm -hmm. that that like i i I will say like there's a certain amount like a a a pat a level past which mathematics is like practical on the day-to-day but algebra is still kind of something that people should know how to do at least a lot of people and and like the the vast majority can't do like a simple problem in some of these studies and things and it's it's just very kind of yeah like shows how troubled our education system is that so many people aren't retaining in information or aren't getting it at all. And so Dre, for those of you who don't remember, is our sometimes fourth host, our podcast researcher, general, generally all around helpful, friendly person with a lot of good ideas. And they have done an extensive amount of research on this particular topic of schooling or more accurately, perhaps anti-schooling, so to speak. Dre, why don't you take it away? Yeah, I'm going to start by saying that uh, a lot of my experience in anti-schooling thought started in high school, actually, and it developed from just a strong desire of wanting to do something in spite of it. And a lot of the methods I originally had to do something creative in spite of it eventually wore off because, you know, it's an environment where you're not really supposed to have those creative outlets because that's a distraction from the curriculum, you know. So I decided, you know, I'm going to make my outlet for acting in spite of this to be acting in spite of it, literally. So then I became really obsessed with just writing down all the observations I made. Going through my particular schooling experience at a Catholic school, private Catholic school, filled very conservative people and a very conservative student body, mostly as a result of regurgitation of the ideas of the teachers onto them and their parents and whatnot. So I've been doing that for about all the time that I was in high school, actually. And it sort of culminated in what I believe now. And I believe I have a lot of ideas about it that I think are really important to get out there because I don't think this is mainstream enough, or at least it's not in the political base enough to really just uh, change minds. Schooling is just kind of like a permanence. We talk about reforming it all the time, but nothing ever really gets done. The thing is, is a lot of times that reform that's discussed, it, it's it's not really substantive. You know, you hear people talk about school reform and what they really mean is like, let's get a new history book or something, you know, oh, yeah, really petty stuff like that. That doesn't really change anything. 
like sh- shift the starting hour and uh, a, a notch or something. Yeah, and if it's not that, it's usually something actually regressive, something that like is damaging to teachers and students. And you're gonna hear like a constant motif throughout this. I will link to the students and teachers together because they are essentially one labor force, really, in academia. They are not separate, and like the entire structure of a classroom is designed to make students and their educators like be antagonistic towards each other because you know teachers are kind of like the middle managers and. The academic hierarchy. They're not the top, but they're definitely the people who have power over you. And what I want to emphasize is that teachers are in the long haul too. They like get the shit from how awful our uh, educational system is just as much as students. And that needs to be emphasized. Sure. And and they, they don't usually have a lot of actual control over it, whether they express like totally. some amount of like resistance towards how awful it is in terms of like providing like a slightly better curriculum that they can. Mm-hmm. Or if they don't and they're shitty, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of the fact that like the education system was like bad when they got there and bad when they left. Usually, you know, it kind of feels like teachers are the middle managers of the education industry in that they seem to be the the public face of a lot of shitty decisions that are made by the institution Mm -hmm. and receive a lot of hatred from those below them without really understanding that they are in a lot of times just as much a victim as of the system as them and that that sort of hatred against the conditions that they're put in would be more deserved at the people at the much more to the top but who's really at the top of our economic system who really makes Mm. the decisions i mean obviously it's the powerful it's lobbies that are you know ultimately creating these decisions but who's creating the atmosphere in which these decisions are made it's the people it's the public and what is the attitude that most people in the public have towards schools i think that spite is the number one emotion that we bring when we are discussing education. For all that politicians talk about how education is sacred and education is important, when we actually look at how people on the street talk about education and how they express their values, it's almost like we are getting a chance to bully ourselves 25 years ago. It seems to be an attitude of, well, I suffered and now it's their turn to suffer too. There does not seem to be a generation that is willing to break that cycle of, I went through school. It wasted my time. It was a bad experience. I didn't like it. It didn't teach me skills that I needed when I became an adult. And now this has got to stop. It's got to come to an end. Yeah, a lot of shitty institutions kind of perpetuate that way that I had to suffer. So you have to suffer too. It's only fair. This is one of the few institutions where everybody, almost everybody, I know Kennedy's got stories about being homeschooled, <laughs> but almost everybody has gone through this institution. We all have like a common knowledge and a common perspective of what American schools are like. So why are they still like this 100 years after they were founded? Well, it's not a, that's a, what I wanted to say is that it's not 100 years. It goes back much further than this because the model of schooling that we're still using originates in the Code Napoleon, which like guaranteed a public education, which sounded really good at the time. But the point of Napoleon's educational system was to produce good industrial workers and good fascists in the proto-industrial and proto-fascist period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Originally, the model was coined the uh, Prussian educational system because guess where it originated? Prussia. And it definitely replicated the militarist nature of the uh, state at that time. Yes. And you can just see just aesthetically, you can see how it was meant to like produce factory workers, uh, industrial workers, all neatly aligned in desks, strict bell schedules, fraternization is kept to low levels. Right. No unnecessary talking, no unnecessary touching, no unnecessary Mm -hmm. humanization 
skin of the people <laughs> around you. Like, not to be uh, Foucault on Maine, but you know, schools resemble prisons, which resemble prisons. Like it's like yeah, we say that to the point where it's a trope. Like it's a trope yeah. in media to say schools are like prisons because that's how much we delegitimize just how oppressive they actually are. Because again, it goes back to attitude you mentioned, where people go through school, they say it was awful awful why do people suffer through this whatever but like i'm out of it now so i'm gonna do stuff in my life in spite of that and i'm gonna be good and i'm gonna be well off and they don't do anything to address the trauma they went through and that's the thing about schooling it's like any other institution where you're like okay once i get through it i'm gonna be better off i'm probably gonna gain social momentum but schooling has to deal with you and your adolescence which is the most impressionable years of your life and that's why it's the mold <laughs> it's the mold from which you form your person whether you like it or not. <laughs> One of the problems, mm -hmm. though, in terms of people stepping outside of this is that a lot of people simply don't have any kind of resources to allow them to do anything different than just send their kids to a standard public school. They literally have no other options in their district or the only other options are private and they're too expensive. Or they just, they simply, they don't have the option to stay home and, and take care of that child. Like part of the whole school system plays into like the necessity of work. And especially now that we've moved into this era where women have gotten more liberation to some extent well that has also come with mm -hmm. the capitalist shackles of needing two incomes to sustain most households so you have to send your kids to school what other choice do you have because you're all working mm -hmm. and there's no alternative like i say there's no alternative and so i was lucky enough to experience i guess this is like as good a time as any to get into this right i was lucky enough to experience a little bit of an alternative in my life Mm -hmm. where I was homeschooled from fourth to seventh grade. And the only reason that was really possible, though, was because I was a part of a homeschool group. It wasn't like a solo activity taken on by my parents. They were aware that this alternative existed in our community and that it was actually like somewhat established and reputable. And when I was struggling in school, they just said, well, do you want to try this? And I said, sure. And my experiences with this were very weird, not in the sense that they were weird, like they made me weird, but the opposite of that, because everybody I talked to that's homeschooled besides me practically was like homeschooled some crazy, like, like biblical environment. Oh, like Jesus Oof. invented the constitution back in uh, the year <laughs> 3000. Yeah. Yeah, more Mormon <laughs> stuff or like something weird. Like everybody else that Jeez. I know had some like some weird experience. But I can say that I actually had a, a very positive experience with like a semi-structured school environment where we did some lessons. We didn't do some things. It wasn't religious at all. It was kind of anti-schoolish and self-driven a lot. And it was very cool. And I went back to school in eighth grade and immediately started getting good grades again. Like I was, it was fine. Back to your point about alternative options being resource dependent and a lot of people don't have those resources. You have a lot of options, but at the same time, you don't really have the opportunity to access any of those. And once you do access them, they're all kind of and just like replicating the status quo. Mm -hmm. I know nowadays in our digital era, we have home, uh, we have computer schooling or like on online schooling where you go through class online, but like that's still going to be the same thing, except that you're just like even more at risk to develop a sedentary lifestyle than you are at sit than you are at regular school, sitting your ass on a desk for an hour long intervals. Sure. 
And even homeschooling, something that I would discover later that was like common that like I didn't experience is that a lot of homeschoolers are still forced to take these standardized tests regularly. Mm -hmm. And so like they're trying to exist outside the system, but basically they just need to keep drilling all the same shit as everybody else so that they can take another test every couple of months. Yeah, because the, the, the tests are mandated. They're, they're what define everything, really. Like, the teachers kept saying, like, oh, your grade doesn't matter, the test, or if you're not a good test taker, it doesn't matter. But, like, they matter so much to students. They, they're students who have anxiety attacks, they have mental breakdowns, they have physical repulsions, all this stuff. And, like, other countries, when they have test time, usually it can result in, oftentimes in suicide. And that happens here, but it's more common elsewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this this kind of culture has been built around standardized testing and around the kind of fetishization of qualifiable metrics for sort of intelligence and ability to work. Yeah, it's deeply meritocratic. And that gets me to the model mm-hmm. of schooling itself. It's entirely based on meritocracy, which fun fact, when meritocracy is introduced, I forgot which novel was introduced in, but it was, it was labeled as a dystopian concept. But people clearly didn't get that implication of the text. So now this is what we're dealing with. <laughs> The book was uh, Rise of the Meritocracy by Michael Young. Mm -hmm. Damn, you on top of it. Listen, we've had countries and societies that have had intense meritocracies. China, I mean, the Chinese empire has massive populations. So back then, I mean, they had a strict meritocracy system. And obviously, it was corrupted in a lot of ways. But it definitely can lead to a person feeling isolated and alienated. I know that in America, we think of meritocracy as like the ideal that we should aspire to. But once you're personhood and your personality is reduced to your performance on a test, an examination, you might think that that's what you want. But when you actually live in that system, it can be very dehumanizing. And it's just a natural consequence of having a lot of people Mm -hmm. and a small number of opportunities. That's exactly what I was going to say in that there's a limited amount of opportunities. And what tends to happen is you throw the opportunities at the top of the meritocracy. And those opportunities are great opportunities for people to get smarter and get more merit. So the top gets all the opportunities to grow bigger and to solidify their position. And the bottom is starved for chances to even start heading towards the middle. There, there are just so many ways that it can be manipulated. Right. If you just look at a situation, like just to give like an example, you might put on a test like that seems very meritocratic that like, like knowing a little bit of Spanish gives you some points towards some score, right? Mm-hmm. And that could seem like a good thing and even like an equality based step, right? Like this is like, this is encouraging a certain kind of equality, except that you could also at the same time defund like necessary public education of languages and force it into private schools. Now, certain Mm. socioeconomic, certain racial, certain like class groups, etc. are going to be favored on this test. Uh Uh-huh. Even Mm -hmm. though it seems like on paper, it's designed to encourage a type of equality. And that kind of leads into how Republicans are all clamoring for school choice, when really what that means is subsidizing rich parents, sending their kids to private schools, and all of the dirty pores are... are, (laughs) Yes, uh, all of the dirty pores code word black people are sent to suffer through horrible, underfunded, shitty public schools. Another example of, I mean, if you want to talk about how spite impacts the way that we educate children, one of the problems is, and this goes back to episode one, we don't always think of children as 
our children. So when we think of like the children are our future, we think our children are our future. Like my child is my future, but we don't really think about our collective children as a body. If you guys understand what I'm saying here. Yeah, I get you. Well, we've discussed before the fact that like children don't provide value to the capitalist system and that therefore that makes it hard for them to have any rights or recognition because the reality of capitalism is that basically the more money you have, the more power you have in our quote unquote democracy. I distinctly remember a lesson in my seventh grade social studies class from my teacher who was actually a really good teacher and tried to kind of educate us on different issues. I'm pretty sure she was like decently left-wing where she went through sort of the rights that students and children have in the U.S. currently. And it was really depressing and kind of eye-opening that, you know, the school acts as your parent legally. They can search you. They can do pretty much whatever they want to you. Mm -hmm. And you don't have any right to complain. Well, it's much worse under private schools because they don't have to follow federal or state laws. They have to follow some of them, but when it comes to like policy, they don't have have to follow that so they can enforce whatever stupid, petty, harmful bullshit they want to. Oh, yeah. There are private schools that still have corporal punishment. Yeah, like I've heard like stories from kids who like used to go through a Catholic school here and they like they told stories of how they used to get paddled. (laughs) Yeah. Like now, like the school I go to, if you like commit like a petty offense, they give you detention, which already sucks. And that's an hour of your day wasted copying the uh, handbook policy. But if you do like a more serious offense, they'll make you do free labor. They'll make you work with the janitorial staff. Mm-hmm. They'll make you do work against your will if you do that. And if you don't do it, they'll expel you. <laughs> Yeah, this will really trip you guys out. In the 90s, mid 90s, in public school, when I was in first grade, they sent a letter to my parents saying, can we paddle your child? They sent it to every child at the school asking for permission. My mom actually went into the school and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like this was, just, this was just a rural American public school was still doing this in the mid late 90s. God, it's like those forms get sent out in like fifth and sixth grade for sex ed. Like, uh, oh, hey, can we teach your kid about penis and vagina? Instead, it's like, uh, hey, can we hit your kid with a fucking wooden paddle? They should just like rechange those letters to, do you want your kid to have a teen pregnancy? It's so funny that that y'all are uh, sharing these stories because I grew up in Metro Atlanta. And my parents had a very different approach when we had meetings with the teacher. My mom would be like, listen, you may feel the need to beat the shit out of my kid. But I mean, you go for it. I won't say anything. I mean, you you got to keep control around here. Just 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 get a ruler and just whip his ass. It's fine. Go for it in front of me like real Jeez. shit. So, yeah, uh, I don't believe it ever happened. If it happened, I just uh, repressed it, which is one of my favorite hobbies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're in some dark places. Getting back to the point. Yeah, pivoting back to how like private schools are allowed much or leeway. There are specific types of schools. They are religious schools. And in the U.S., they're primarily Christian because, you know, most people in the U.S. are Christian or like a religious. And Christian schools, they are particularly horrible mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. They are blatantly conservative. They are unapologetically conservative. They will brainwash you into being one and they do not care. Usually the biggest scaremongering tech that they have is around abortion. They want to make you an anti-abortion voter. They have like a really strong like pro-life culture usually they uh, you hear a lot of reports about sexual abuse that goes on within them because you know like if sexual abuse happens you could just easily hand wave it (laughs) like oh this is 
probably mm-hmm. because like cut them off. And like also teachers in private schools, they're paid like way less than teachers in public schools, surprisingly. Most of the time because private schools want to direct their funding towards something stupid like a new stadium or new locker rooms or whatever, because you know, sports are a sacred right as opposed to the actual education. <laughs> right. Yeah. Football is way more important than academics at every school in America, no matter how shitty their football program is. This is the funny part. Even if we were going to give football the benefit of the doubt, and I personally wouldn't, but let's say we will for a second, you would still think that, okay, well, let's have some schools that like are actually good at that focus on that. And the ones that don't have good football teams, you know, can not do that. But no, even the ones with like football teams that have never won a game in like three freaking decades will be like, we're building a new stadium. At my high school, our buildings were, you know, literally falling apart. Uh, Things really sucked. But, you know, we kept uh, pushing all of the money that we could into the fucking football team. And I I distinctly remember it was at a uh, like an all school assembly and they were rattling off like the list of accomplishments of our sports team. And they said something to the effect of in a first for a few years, our football team has won, won one game this season. We won a single game. And then and then. We kind of pity class. Poorly funded schools, the little funding they already get because the people who run them are such dipshits. They direct the little funding they get towards stuff like that instead of, you know, improving the quality of life of their students. And that was kind of a pivot there. I want to go back to like the original topics of like punishment in schools and like meritocracy. I specifically want to talk about how schools are. I'm going to be real with you. There cannot be a school where everyone can pass. That is impossible. If everyone did well, it would cease to exist. It needs to have a ability to see a population of students there always needs to be the overachiever Mm -hmm. the minority of overachievers the large median of people who are just trying to get on by and the other minority of people who struggle and that would seem like fair to you because you're like if you don't know anything about (laughs) how it actually goes down you just look at that and you're like okay yeah that makes sense the overachievers they graduate the people who get on by they uh they get on by and the people struggle they struggle and you put that model in our society our very prejudiced and very hierarchical based society and you start applying that to things like race, ability, gender, you apply it to all these things, then it starts to skew a little bit. You start to see like black and Latinx students are held, are held behind way more. If you're like marked as disabled and you get in like special eds class, that's like a life sentence for you. You're you're not getting out of that. Mm-hmm. And there's also the reverse where you get put into a gifted program, which is you're basically. Oh, boy. Can I talk about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Gifted programs are just you get bottled up with a bunch of other insecure weirdos who have been conditioned. And every moment when you're in a gifted program, you're just being yelled at. You know, you're in this program for a reason. You're very, you're very, very smart. They do all of this stuff more than is expected of, you know, the average person. Your parents paid a lot of money for you to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just produces terrible people. At, at best, gifted programs are just what school should be. Like the very mm-hmm. best gifted programs, like it's it's not that this model of schooling is what these kids even need in particular a lot of times. It's just like this is just like a more humane schooling where we like put the kids in like a smaller classroom and treat them like maybe they should be allowed to say something once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and then at its worst, the gifted programs and I experienced quite a bit of them myself in school. So I'm speaking mm-hmm, from experience too. here. Uh, at worst, they're basically non-existent and you know, they just do everything that they can to kind of not service you and you have to basically demand anything. And meanwhile, they're collecting money because you're there. 
Mm-hmm. And, and at worst, you know, it, 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 it produces people who, because they're, they're constantly being told, you know, you're smart, you're in this program, you're intelligent. They're not really uh, working on honing their skills and things kind of plateau. And the ostensible goal of these kinds of programs is for these students to be challenged more. What really ends up happening is that they don't hit a challenge. And when they do sort of in college or they crash. in the workforce or later in life, they crash. And that's what's happened to me. And it's very fun. I don't have study skills. I don't have skills whatsoever to survive in a uh, greater educational environment. Right, because they they kind of just assume you can handle all of that, and yeah, like you don't need to be taught any study skills or whatever. Blah blah. Like you're you're past that, you know. And then it turns out you never actually learn, you know, these APA, ADA, whatever, you know, paper formats. Maybe you were better (laughs) able to write papers. You just kind of picked up that skill beforehand or, you know, you solved math problems pretty well. And you could coast on that skill and you didn't need to improve it. Nothing was really too challenging. And then once you get into once you get to a real challenge, you you don't have any fucking skills to overcome it. So, yeah, just. Mm-hmm. But also, once you get to college, they don't give a fuck if you're gifted, quote unquote, whatever. No, yeah. shut up. Here's your education. Like, yeah, well, first of all, the reason that they don't care so much about you in college is because you've paid. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a decent <laughs> argument. Yeah, there's no financial incentive to give a shit about your feelings anymore once you send in that tuition check. You're there on their time, not the other way around. Second of all, like, I love that this this uh, podcast just became a collective cry for help from all these gifted kids. <laughs> Finally, I want to let everybody know I was in gifted programs, too. Just because just because the black dude didn't say nothing. I wasn't just sitting there staring at my shoes. Oh, I wish I was gifted like Leia. No, I was in challenge program. Garden Hills Academy, all that other stuff. Yeah, I'm smart. Okay. Well, look Let's at us, smarty pants. Uh, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, boohoo. Look at us. We're so intelligent. We were psychologically scarred by being told we were smart. We need to elevate some dumb kid voices on this podcast. You're like a dumbass to speak up. I legit don't believe in that model of intelligence at all, though, anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Me neither. Absolutely. I, I was just, you know, having a, having a laugh. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely funny, but I'm just saying, like, I think the whole thing was bunk. If you got under a 3.0 average in high school, don't even speak to me if you see me on the streets. Just just put your head down. Keep moving. The real skull measuring. We're all going to wear little badges that say gifted. Please respect me. I'm gifted. We got to find your permanent record. Has anybody talked about a permanent record since you left high school? Oh, my God. No, no. It'll be put on your permanent record. The way they used to present that. Yeah, absolutely. It was like you felt like in your mind, like you you were going to get a felony. But nowadays, I feel like because of, you know, zero tolerance policies and excessive policing of schools now, I feel like you could actually get a felony now. Oh, yeah. I have been to public schools where there's like a campus cop. He has a name and everything. And you like give him hugs and he like gives you lollipops if you like ask him cool questions or whatever. He barges into your classroom and then he uh, throws you onto the floor and chokeholds you. The one in my school was a school resource officer, which is a very, a very handy, very clean oh, isn't name. That, isn't that nice? Resources. He's a resource. Yeah. Oh. He's helping. Wow. He's a resource. This is the guy you're going to need to, like, protect you when there's, like, an active shooter situation at your school. Mm-hmm. Which he won't. They never do anything. 
I was reading an article and some some kids were like forming like a human chain to stop the the school police officer from arresting this one kid and they were charged with inciting a riot. Very cool. You love to see it when 13-year-olds get charged with inciting a riot. Let's just make that prison pipeline as fast as fucking possible. Hey, what a great segue. Oh yeah, <laughs> school to prison pipeline, yeah. Uh before you get there, can you uh can we make 13-year-old riot our uh new band or a t-shirt or something? All right. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought please respect me I'm gifted was going to be <laughs> the t-shirt from this episode. <laughs> yeah. Episode title. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, school to prison, school to prison. Yeah, so we already know America is a very police state. <laughs> and the school-to-prison pipeline refers to a cycle of poverty, specific subset of a cycle of poverty, that really breaks the illusion that schooling is meant to be, like, the ultimate source of social momentum in life. Like, I believe it's, like, a cornerstone in which people maintain some kind of sequence of clarity before going into the labor force. So that's why it's, like, very important. And people take that to mean it's a way to maintain gain social momentum and, like, go do something with your life. And that's not true for a lot of people, especially if you're a member of a marginalized group or already poor. Now, the basic of the school-to-prison pipeline is this. You're impoverished, you go to a poorly funded school district. Because you're in poverty, you're more likely to commit crime and you're more likely to commit offenses at school and because, you know, you commit an offense at school and because schools are more police now, the campus police officer comes in, they arrest you, they send you to prison as a minor, and at that point you just get dragged into a downward spiral in which you will likely commit another crime again and be thrown back into prison and you will likely just keep having this endless loop where your life won't get anywhere <laughs> really breaking the illusion right. that there's supposed to be like some so, some sort of magical social momentum machine that's very well said you you said it so well there's hardly anything to add this is kind of a weird segue sort of but like marianne talked in that july 4th speech about like schizophrenia or a duality of the american psyche in terms of like good america bad america i think there's a duality of our education which is like again we we talk about it being a universal way to raise children but the school to prison pipeline in terms of schools being increasingly criminalized or battlefields for crime or increasingly militarized shows an aspect of how we think of schools as competitions and it's our child against other people's kids. That's part of why that has been allowed to grow like a tumor and metastasize across mm -hmm. our educational system to now we're the point where they're like, yeah, just give the teachers guns. Like if the teachers get guns, who's going to be accidentally shot by the guns? You don't even got to answer. Of course, who's going to feel threatened? All that bullshit. Everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's a natural consequence of having, you know, limited spots at the top breeds a fierce competition for those spots. And I really feel like there's an extra layer of societal cruelty and like shame to the the school to prison pipeline, because as bad as we look at somebody who's been to prison as a society, we tend to look at somebody who went to juvie even worse. Like, oh, you couldn't even wait to be an adult to start committing crimes. Like there, there's like a real stigma, especially if you're black or brown. Right. Like, how dare how dare you violate this society's r rules and restrictions, but especially how dare you do it when you were a child? And while the society is, quote unquote, providing for you in the form of school, which in a lot of cases is providing very little and like increasingly anymore, like isn't even like feeding you lunch or things like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, school lunch debt 
is a thing now. Just the fact that that's a phrase. I mean, people have gone into this already. Y'all already know, I'm sure, who are listening. Y'all are probably pretty woke. But like, just the fact that that's a phrase should alarm everyone. It's so interesting that people will talk about shit like people cursing as something that like psychically poisons kids. We talk about a video game as something that psychically poisons a child. When you have set up your social strata in such a way that's so brutal that if your parents don't have money, you have a kid that's sitting there at the table and their stomach's growling. No shit, there's going to be a social fucking penalty to the kid. And the social penalty to the kid is the point. In Pennsylvania, there was actually some guy with more money than he knew how to spend. He saw this shit on the news talking about the lunch debt, and he was like, well, shit, I don't know what to do with my money. I just fucking sit around and count it all day. I'll write to the school, and yeah, I'll pay whatever the extra money is. Uh, In a sane system, well, in a sane system, this wouldn't even be a thing that existed. But in a semi-sane system, they'd say, well, all right, hey, it's free money. We'll take it. They turned the donation down from this guy that literally just offered to pay the debt because it's not about the money. It's about creating a social status. It's about creating a caste system. Yes. And anybody who says that video games or curse words or whatever psychically poison children while being okay with this and child hunger and child starvation. And by the way, when when I talk about starvation, I'm not talking about missing a meal. I'm talking about being consistently malnourished, which is something that you run into, especially because we're cutting the budgets for these federal programs to have the ability to give the kids like an actual healthy diet anyway. So when I say starvation, I'm not being hyperbolic. I mean, being malnourished. But when we talk about that as something that's acceptable, it's fucking hypocritical. I mean, you know, who fucking gives a shit if a kid goes home every night and plays an hour of Fortnite? How is that damaging their psyche when they're uh, confined in this in this institution? And it's, you know, the this created caste system, this, you know, like you said, psychologically damaging everything that this institution is doing. How could you look at those two things and say it's the video games? Let's take some some of these lives to task too. How can we talk so much about how representation is important and being told that someone who looks like you can achieve something when at age like seven, you're getting like a brutal first-hand understanding of your worth under capitalism. All that talk is just telling you your oppression is your fault. Yeah, and not be outraged at something like this as priority 1A. Let's take this in a positive direction. Dre, I I know you have like, you don't just have critiques, you have solutions. Let's talk some solutions. We like to be oriented towards this kind of positivity on this podcast, at least somewhat. So Dre, let's like kick us off on some like, how can we fix this? Oh, fuck. I was going to pivot to school shooters, but like, (laughs) now that you say that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll save save that for a future episode because that is a whole ep for sure. Unfortunately, the topic is probably not going to go away, that topic. So it's a uniquely American elephant in the room. When we when we were conceptualizing this episode, I thought, you know, we were going to touch on a lot of things, but we've only really scratched the surface of this. Uh, yeah. How do we fix this shit? Uh, okay. We already know all the alternatives to schooling that are available somewhat suck. Private schooling is very much profit-driven and run by very corrupt institutions, charter schools, yes. religious institutions, whatnot. 
whatnot. Online schooling is just a band-aid solution and is likely to encourage a sedentary lifestyle, though you can probably argue against that. And homeschooling has a lot of fucking problems attached to it, and it largely depends on who's homeschooling you. What needs to be done is that there needs to be, first off, we need to increase the prominence of teacher and student unions. They need to be represented. They need to be bolstered. Mm -hmm. Like right now, who runs the school right now? They are school boards, and they are the ones who make all the dumbass decisions that like ruin uh, ruin the quality of life about you'll go through school you haven't met one one of these board members right the state of student government too like student unions is a travesty like back at my high school we had the associated student body or asb that was in theory supposed to be like a student mouthpiece for how the school was governed but um we had elections for these people at the end of every year and only 50 percent of how the president and the other officers was chosen was popular vote the other 50 percent was uh, the administrator's choice and who they wanted. Student input in schooling is non-existent and we need much stronger student unions, like you said. I really have a spicy story here, just real quick. I was actually, I, I will get fur like fully into this maybe in a later episode, but I ran for student council president and literally the vote was stolen from me in secret and I found out after I graduated. Because you were too revolutionary. <laughs> they, did a, they did a CIA coup on you before you, you didn't even realize it. They yeeted your vote. Yeah. I will say I did literally give a speech based on a Lenin speech. Like, I was pretty spicy. <laughs> That'll get you canceled. Yeah. I was going to say you're the Stacey Abrams, but apparently you went way harder than that. Okay. Yeah, the only useful thing my student council has ever done is give us the option to wear black or white tennis shoes instead of dress shoes. So, yeah, minor victory. Yay. <laughs> Anyways, aside from that, from unions being like the thing that needs to be focused on from a grassroots level, still at a grassroots level, we need to focus on building strong communities based around unschooled education, anti-schooling based education that try to deconstruct the idea that you need to go to some sort of specified institution or to be educated or mm -hmm. that you need to learn a, like a curriculum. Mm -hmm a set curriculum of skills and not just like whatever's useful to you in your environment. They need to be led with a particular ideology based around the freedom of the educator and the educated, which uh, we don't have in any schooling institutions, obviously. And mm -hmm. the way you got to deal with them, uh, like I, I know as like soon as like those, any types of those communities gain ground, you'll start seeing like uh, public schools start become way more militant and aggressive and authoritarian in order to counteract them because, you know, they don't want them getting any power. Right. A, a lot of the way to sort of undermine these institutions is to build, yeah, kind of communitarian parallel institutions to the existing ones that combat the narratives they're putting out, like free voluntary community schools. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there used to be a lot more like just like educational stuff that was free, like museums being open to the public and free of charge. And like libraries are the last bastion of that, honestly. I, it's it's been said before, but if libraries were invented today, they would be laughed out of public discourse. Laughed. Yeah, they consider them a commie idea. Oh, the GOP would have a field day talking about like Mitch McConnell would be up there going, "Libraries are, are full socialism." Have you read this proposal? They're gonna give books out for free to everyone and just trust they'll give it back. <laughs> that system will clearly collapse on itself. Can you imagine, this almost feels like an entire episode we could do. Can you imagine just Fox News just going after libraries all day? Tucker Carlson brings on a librarian and just fucking laughs at her. You just want to give people books, huh? Just anybody can have any book they want. Oh, yeah. What if somebody wants to watch porn in the library? Will children see that, like, that just the... <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> the sheer variety of the fear mongering that would be used against the library today would just make it impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad, though, that what that points towards, you know, the capitalist colonization of public space, space where you don't have to buy something to exist. To be out in public outside of your house. Weirdly enough, all of the Zoomers can do nothing on Twitter but talk about how they never leave their house and they're also broke. And it's like, yeah, the two things are connected. You can't fucking go anywhere besides your house and, Mm -hmm. you know, a fucking library, (laughs) which... If you're a Zoomer, like, you're not going to because the only cool thing at a library is the computers and you've got one. My other step is on a more major political scale, and it goes back to my complaints, and it's that the left, I feel like the political sphere in general does not talk about school in the way that we should be talking about it. It's Mm -hmm. very, uh, just sweep it under the rug. Whenever I'll get elected, Mm -hmm. we'll just fund schools, and then we'll fix all the problems or whatever, and we don't specify exactly Mm -hmm. what there is. And that's just mainstream political discourse. On the left, I see, like, a noticeable lack of, like, anti-schooling analysis, and, like, you'd expect that from leftists, but it's not there. No, the place... I see it the most is honest to God, right libertarians. They really like appropriating the concept of anti-schooling to promote like private or homeschooling instead, because you know, anything the government does is bad. And I dislike that heavily. Mm-hmm. I dislike how it's these right libertarians who are just taking this really potent idea and just using it to promote their bullshit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd think like anarchists questioning unjust hierarchy is not compulsory, you know, institutionalized education, not an unjust hierarchy. I have met self-proclaimed anarchists who are like, I don't know, I think like compulsive education should still be a thing. And I'm like, what? Like, I feel like it's so deeply ingrained in their mindset and like their mind that they like still consider it unquestionable. (laughs) That's what I keep saying. Like the left is pretty cowardly in general when it comes to like making anti-schooling and youth liberation a big part of their appeal. Right. The, The argument is usually let's make college free. Let's do things like that. Or like, let's let's make mm-hmm. uh, preschooling free, which while like that's a thing that I don't disagree with on, like the principle of like helping to unoppress people at the same time, psychologically, the facts are in and kids should be with their parents at that age still or, mm-hmm. or other like family and guardians, primarily not just like random people that they don't really know kind of forced into these environments as, as like their major part of their day. And there are these kids now that are in preschool all day long, not just for like a few hours, but like, you know, yeah, it's just it's very it's very upsetting. And, and, and yeah, not addressing that is very upsetting. There's no kind of real left wing alternative to schooling beyond, you know, just the milk toast. We need to fund public schools better take. And it's it's disappointing. Definitely. I mean, public schools are already very highly funded. It's just that the money is not, you know, spent well. And it's, and it's not it's not evenly distributed. And one of the other factors here that's very important is that the United States if I understand it correctly, is the only country in the world that bases its education budget on property values. So once you've based your education budget for a local area on property values, it's inevitable that this competition is going to be tilted in the direction of the areas that have the highest property values. And Oddly enough, we're also kind of locked into a society where some parents vote to punish the children of other parents consistently through their voting choices and through their rationales for doing so. And that, to me, is like the number one issue. We have an emotional issue 
on how we think of each other's children that, I mean, it's really dope that we're arguing over whether there should be schools at all after the revolution. But that to me is number one. Property taxes being used as the main way to fund schooling is very regressive and leads to woefully underfunded schools in rural areas. And deeply segregated mm-hmm. schools, because schools that are majority black and their student yeah. populace will be poor. <laughs> yeah, and so they live in the same neighborhood because they're poor and that's what they can afford. And because of redlining policies, they never got the funding during the New Deal to buy houses. Right. So there's just a big slurry of issues here at play. I feel like I want to pivot back from the original point where like the left doesn't really mm-hmm. like incorporate anti-schooling into its rhetoric. And I want to pivot to the fact that I believe schooling and it's the excess of its impact on our culture is causing what I believe to be the modern neo-reactionary movements we see online. And I believe that results because of a clashing between the excesses of schooling and the grip it still has on people and the radicalizing potential of the internet. And because, mm-hmm. you know, it's so easy to get sucked into re- reactionary content and schools train you to like be a reactionary, es- essentially. It's very easy to fall in within reactionary rabbit holes and have these like really awful, bigoted, uh, because I'm like a horrible person, really. Uh, and I believe that starts uh, at like what schooling drills into their head. Like to use an example, like like a school, like innocuously, they might teach you, oh, we're all equal in America. We all have equal opportunity, whatever. Like seems like an innocuous enough untruth, like maybe just something someone who who's like ignorant of systemic injustice would hold. You teach that at a kid, like some white kid, you teach that to them and then they go on at home, they go on their computer and then they start thinking about like, hmm, yeah, it does make sense. We're all equal, right? Like that makes sense. They look that up and then they look up content. They see content that like reaffirms their views made by right-wing grifters and then they start thinking like, yeah, this is making me intelligent. I feel like I'm learning stuff from this. I'm really expanding my horizons of like the established knowledge I was given. And then that process just keeps going and going until... Uh, Mm -hmm. They end up being like proto-fascist. And I feel like the left doesn't understand that process of radicalization. They do. They just don't understand where it originates. Well, part of the problem that I see with like Mm -hmm. school and how it leads people kind of down a, a dark conservative path in a lot of cases right now is that I think most people who are in school feel like there's something wrong about it. Like, like most oh, people wow. kind of have the sense that like, this isn't fair. This isn't right. What's happening to me right now? Like, I'm not being given what I want or what I need out of this. And I'm being forced to jump through all these hoops. So if you have the sense that something is right, you're going to start looking for answers. This is a theme that we've talked about many times on this podcast, especially in regards to conspiracy theory. And what is fascism, but just sort of like an overgrown conspiracy theory, right? <laughs> yeah, and this is exactly what we were talking about on the kind of the Lao episode where that seed of curiosity, that seed of things aren't right. And school introduces that to people and it's sort of subtly based on the ideology that it espouses and drills into people, nudges them in the wrong direction, in the sort of right leaning direction. And that kind of snowballs. But funny enough, it's because in this weird way, a lot of times what they're hearing is a more leftward slant at school. And they think that's the cause, that it's the fact that schools have become more liberal in some small yes, way. That's exactly what I want know? to talk about, you know, because liberalism has a history of co-opting a lot of the progressive movements made in the United States. So like you, you're told, like, you know, be respectful, uphold equality, don't say anything racist, don't be like any of that. You hear that in school and you're like, oh, OK, as a kid. But then you grow up and you think like all of that was all that I was taught in school 
school is wrong. These people just constantly lie to me. They probably lied about those things. And you reference back to like what they were taught, the liberalized values of uh, social justice they were taught. And then they start thinking about how maybe they were wrong. Maybe this is like what I should go against. Maybe like I should find a truth and like going against it. And then they become bigoted. They don't see equality as a meaningful value to uphold because they think it think of it as another part of like the liberal system that indoctrinated them. Well, this has been an incredible mm. conversation. It's gone on for quite some time. Yeah. We probably need to start thinking about wrapping this up. There were so many points that we didn't touch on that we mentioned. Yeah, there is so much stuff here. You can make like five episodes out of it. I think we'll definitely be revisiting this topic in the future because this is a very important topic that doesn't get enough discussion, doesn't get enough discussion in the realm of politics. And I think it's something that we would like mm -hmm. to focus on. It's something that Marianne's campaign is acutely aware of. And it's it's just a, it's an issue that's kind of, yeah, it's important to us and we're going to yeah. keep talking about it. And hopefully maybe next time we can really yeah. articulate even more deeply some of the ways the left might start constructing an alternative. And hopefully you our lovely listeners will tune in when that episode comes out this has been really great really enjoyed doing this episode dre i just want to say a special thank you to you for you know being our wonderful fourth host who like i say a lot of your work kind of is done in the shadows so to speak isn't always appreciated by the audience and it was wonderful to have you come on today and really espouse about a topic that you're so passionate about and so knowledgeable about yeah, it was an honor doing this. And this is like my first introduction, not necessarily, but it's like my first time to shine, showing people what I really can do, even if most of the time I spend is in the shadows mm -hmm. doing groundwork. Yeah, this is the quality of research that Dre is doing to help promote this show right here on the table in this episode, folks. <laughs> yeah, and th th this is just, you know, scratching the surface. Uh, we're definitely going to, like we said, revisit this. I, be I believe that's yes. from the show. Remember to uh, review us on or, iTunes. Or wherever you listen, but iTunes is especially awesome if you can give us that one. We have been Not Safe for Wonks. My name's Dre. This is Brandon. Kennedy Cooper. Leia Rose. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you again after a mm -hmm. while. Bye-bye. See ya.